This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, from verses 11 to 13. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled The Good Life is on the Beach. (laughs) The Good Life is on the Beach. It's really important that we understand that at God's core, God is a God of love. It's, it's important that we really realize the fullness and the significance of that because it's not saying that he is a God who has love. It's beyond a God who has love. He is love. It's something that defines his nature. It's something who he is. And it becomes really important and significant for us as individuals because you understand that he's the one who created you. So when we're talking about ourselves in relation to God, we're talking about a God who by his very nature is love. And love is what created us. You were created by love to be loved. You were created by love to be loved. It becomes important for us because we begin to realize that the very substance and the core of who we are and what we're all about fundamentally is something that was intrinsically given expression as a result of love. That's who you were. We were never an antidote to God's loneliness. God was not lonely and he had a problem and he was like, let me create somebody to try and take care of the situation. God is love and as a result of his overflow of love, he said, I need to have a being, preferably something in my image that I can take who I am and I'm able to express that love too. And so it was out of that fullness, out of that abundance, out of that overflow that he created you. You were created with the express purpose of being loved by God. It becomes important because we start to think about God. And the the devil is always wanting to introduce us to ideas that God is against you. Or God is a God of wrath. Or God is a God who's really going to be quite formidable. And God is the one who's teaching you a lesson. God is the one who loves you. And he created you with the express purpose of loving you. That's who you are. Do you know that God is excited about your life? God is excited about you because in you he sees a way that he can live and move and have his being that is unique and absolutely defined by who he is in you. Not with anybody else. God wants to live and move and have his being in a unique way within the context of each one of our lives. That should be exciting. It makes you distinctive and it makes you different. Don't try to be anybody else. God never called you to be that. Sarah and I had to have a long chat. Because the problem with it is, you you know, when you inherit something, there there is always something that's left behind. And so when I took over from my dad, I was nothing like him. 
And so when Sarah came into the position as my wife, she's sitting at my, looking at my mom and she's like, well, what am I supposed to be as a first lady? And it's like, I, I see who she is and I see what she does and I see how she behaves and I see the things that she's interested in. And none of those things are me. And should I tell you something? They shouldn't be. Because you are not to be anybody else. He wants to live and move and find his being in you distinctively. You were created the way you were for a reason. And he's going to find expression in who you are, in the places you go and in the people that you see. You should celebrate your uniqueness in union with who he is. Have you ever been to the beach and been at the beach sitting along and the next moment you see some toddlers out there playing? There's nothing as rewarding and as refreshing as seeing toddlers on the beach. You know why? Because the first thing they like to do is get naked. (laughs) Who wants to be encumbered with a bathing suit when you can streak? And should I tell you something? They don't care what you think. They are happy. And they love running. And they love jumping in the ocean. And it's even better if you do it naked. I can play unashamed. And I'm happy. Because there is nothing, there is no encumbrance between desire and fulfillment. And I'm happy in that space. I'm unashamed. Because I haven't established in my life any personal boundaries. Things that I start to build up that protect me. Things that keep me isolated and keep me secure from the outside world. Things that remove me but keep me in a safe space. But they keep me isolated and they keep my life small. And I've never got there. Because they're at a stage of development where self hasn't been realized yet. And as a result, who I am has no influence in how I live. Who I am and who I become is so important. I believe that Adam and Eve found fullness of life on the beach when they lived in the garden. You see, when man was in the garden, God had placed them there. God had created them out of love. And in that space, they felt a freedom to be who they wanted to be. They were unencumbered by things. They were unashamed by who they were. They were able to live in freedom, in happiness, in the fullness of what love had created. The biggest thing that we want to know as born-again believers is how do I experience the love of God? We talk about the love of God. We talk about how he loves us and how he wants to express that love to us. And we want to walk into an expression of what that love is all about. What I'm proposing to you today is this. When we discover who we are and who he is, we will walk into an expression where we realize and we live in the love of who he's called us to be.
When we step into the fullness of who he's designed us to be, there is a liberty and there is a freedom that it leaves us in a space where we're unencumbered by life. And all of a sudden, I wake up every day and I sit and realize to myself the reason that I wake up joyful, the reason that I'm happy, the reason that I'm in the place that I am is because the greater one lives on the inside of me. Because I've come to a place of unity within myself where I've recognized that at the very core of my being, I was designed by love, I was to be informed by love and as I get back to that space the truth will set you free you will experience his love and freedom but Adam brought the lie Adam brought the lie that you can find who you are outside of God and so he went outside of God to try and discover who he was. Anytime we go outside of God to discover our identity, we're going to encounter something called sin. Sin is anything else that comes into our life that gives definition to who I am as opposed to God. And their eyes were opened and they were aware And became knowledgeable of good and evil. Something shifted in their being. I was free and I was happy on the beach. And I could live. And I could jump in the waves. And I could live the way that I wanted. And I didn't care about challenges. And I didn't care about what people thought. And I was unencumbered and I was free. And I lived in a space called happiness. I lived in a space called fulfillment. I lived in a space called Eden in a space that was created by love itself. And all of a sudden, in that space, I came into the recognition of something else that was giving definition to me. It had never happened before. And suddenly, there was a side to me that I felt wrenched. And I was divided in myself. And who I was becoming was separated from who I was designed to be. I was separated from my purpose. I was separated from love. And something went off on the inside of me. It was called conscience. He had never known conscience before because he always lived in goodness. It was only goodness, not evil. But suddenly there was something else and conscience kicked in. Conscience was, is like the red flag inside of our being that says, something's happening here. Take corrective action. Get back to who you're supposed to be. The problem is, when we go down that road, we can't get back. We can't get back. And so we sit in a space where I'm aware of the fact that I'm fractured. I'm aware of the fact that I'm divided. I'm aware of the fact that I'm not whole and complete. And because of that, there is a sense that comes into me of fear. A sense of shame. And the first thing I want to do is I want to go out and I want to hide myself. And so they found fig leaves and put themselves in the bushes to hide. The thing about us as people is that each of us were born with eyes wide open. Each of us were born into an environment where we knew good and evil. Both existed in where we were born. 
The thing is, as we begin to grow in that space and as we develop in that space, things come into our life that give definition to who we are. And when it begins to do that, all of a sudden we recognize, I don't like this. There is something within us, the conscience, something that says where you are at this point is outside of where you should be. It's waving red flags and it says to us, you're not in unity with your purpose. But I don't know how to get there. So the best I can do when I recognize my nakedness is try to cover myself up. And so I sow fig leaves. And what do I do? I become a perfectionist. I have great fig leaf called a perfectionist. Because if I can present myself to you in a way that I look really good, I do things really well, I never make mistakes, you'll think better of me. I put myself in a place where I make excuses because it's never my fault. It's always them or society or the people or my background. It's always something because it covers me up. I get productive. Because if I can produce, if I can do things really well, people will be so consumed and so aware of what it is that I'm doing that they'll never really identify and recognize who I am. I'll get you to like me at whatever expense. I may not be honest. I may become codependent, but you will think I'm the best person ever. Because I've got to have some fig leaves. I've got to have something that hides the fact that I'm not in unity with who I am. The problem is when we live life divided, it's hard. It's a lot of work. I'm always keeping up the image. I'm always keeping up the pretense because it came at the expense of freedom. I'll be just fun anymore. I'm always covered up and I look at other people playing but it's not a place of fun and freedom. It becomes important for us, I think, to begin to identify how we become in life. Because if we can understand that, it might put us at a place where we're more informed, so we're aware of how we affect our future. They looked at the tree and they saw the fruit was good to eat because it was pleasing to the eye. We become through life as a result of what we spend our time looking at. We become through life what we spend our time looking at. Those things that are pleasing to the eye. It doesn't necessarily have to be good stuff. Sometimes it can be other stuff. Sometimes we like things that are, that are sometimes negative, that are bad. Why? Because it, 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 I develop an affinity for it, but it gives me license to live how I want. I can become a victim, and I can find value in becoming a victim. I can move into that space, and I can find it attractive. It can become pleasing to my eye because it legitimizes where I am. It gives me license and permission to live in that space. And never comes with any responsibility to shift because it's not my fault. The things that I look at become important.
because they become pleasing to the eye. And the things that I look at stir up something on the inside of me called desire. Desire is important because desire is what fuels my life. Desire is what fuels and gives me trajectory into the future that I'm moving into. The things that I desire are important because God created us in the context of image and likeness. He put us in the garden where he was love and he imaged all that love was supposed to be. And what he said to us was, as I live as the image and you see that and you like it, you will become like me. Keep your eyes focused on me because you're becoming like me. The problem is I became aware of the fact and I had knowledge of good and evil and suddenly my eye could go anywhere and all kinds of things could become pleasing to me. And so I can develop desires in different areas and I can move into different spaces. What I keep my eye on is what is responsible for originating desire. No desire originates in me but I originate in the desires that I reflect anything that I see that I want to become one with starts to define who I am it becomes important for us because if we read the words in 1 John 4 verse 16 I'm going to read it out of the passion It says, we have come into an intimate experience with God's love. We trust in the love he has for us. God is love. Basically what it's saying is God God continually exists being love. Those who are living in love are living in God. And God lives through them. What it's saying to us is, sorry, that's not the one I want to read for that. that. I can't get back to that one. What it's saying is this. If you... It's important to keep your eye on what is right. And that's why what God says to us is, I want you to keep your eye on the fact that you need to keep it on Jesus. Keep your eye on Jesus as opposed to what's happening around you. Keep your eye on Jesus as opposed to the environment that you find yourself in. Luke 11, 34 says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. What we look at becomes important. What we look at begins to define and give us desire. And when we act on that desire, it moves us in a place. And what we, when when image and likeness come together, they become one. And I begin to reflect those things that I've desired. Let me give you an example. People are not always the nicest. People can say cruel things and people can do cruel things. People can be hurtful. If I find myself at a place where somebody has done or said something that's hurtful to me, it's important that I keep my eye on Jesus. Because you see, when I keep my eye on Jesus, I keep myself established in my core and who he's designed me to be. I'm a person of love. And as a result of that, what ends up happening is I can deal with the challenge of love that comes into my world. I am here, but the challenge is there. The problem with it is if I take my eye off Jesus and I begin to look at the hurt, what ends up happening is I desire 
what the hurt begins to draw me into. It begins to speak to your emotions. Don't you understand? Don't you feel bad? Aren't you hurt to the core? Isn't that something? It begins to draw me and create emotional desire within me. And then I begin to rationalize all of those things to myself. And I start to think about that person and I start to think about the situation. And I start to think about how best to deal with that. And I move into a situation where all of a sudden I act on that desire. And when that becomes a desire, something happens. I empower hurt and all of a sudden I become a person who is offended. See the difference? I was living in love. And in, in the context of love, I could deal with the challenge of hurt that's over there. But when I take my eye off Jesus and I begin to look at the hurt and I empower the hurt, all of a sudden what I do is I give hurt the opportunity to give definition to who I am. And now I become an offended person. It's defined my being. It's drawn me away from who I was designed to be. It's drawn me away from love. And all of a sudden, I find myself in a place where I feel emotions of anger and retribution. And they deserve it. Where did it come from? I've become redefined by something that I let come into my life. Something that drew me away from where I was to be. I want to read 1 John 4, 16. We have come into an intimate experience with God's love and we trust in the love he has for us. God is love. God is continually exists in being love. Those who are living in love are living in God and God lives through them. What he's saying is this. When we get back to the place of unity with Christ, when we get to the place in relationship with God, it's not designed to dissolve you. It is designed to enable you to become the distinctive, truly free person he designed you to be. What it's going to do is, the problem is when we act on something that is outside of who we are, what ends up happening is we move in that direction, but we burn the bridge. And so I find myself in offense. And I've become that offended person. But I can't get back. I know it isn't right. Because I have a sense of guilt about it. I have a sense of conviction about it. And I try to hide it. And I try and make excuses for it. And I try and justify it. The fact of the matter is. I still can't get back to where I was. Because all of a sudden. People suddenly say. Well you shouldn't feel that way. I know I shouldn't. But I do. Why? Because it's taken root in me. And it's given definition to who I am. And I'm living in a place where I'm divided from where I should be. And I'm not in freedom anymore. The point of relationship with Christ is he's sitting saying, I'm going to give you an opportunity to go back. Because you can't get there by yourself. I'm going to give you the invitation to sit and say, I am the only way to take you back to authentically who you were designed to be. I am the only one who can introduce you to truth because the truth will set you free from where you are and move you back to a place where I experience the fullness and the love of who he is. We don't experience what Jesus has to offer us by knowing but by knowing by more of ourselves. 
You don't get there by knowledge, but by knowing by more of myself. It's important because it changes our disposition to when we get into the word, to when we spend time with the Holy Spirit, to when we come to church. I want to get the the revelation of the moment, what's happening right at the moment. Well, you can have the revelation, that's okay. But maybe the more important place to to be is to say, Father, here is my being. Take me and take an aspect of who I am and let that move back to where I need to be. I'm taking different pieces of who I am. Things that over the years have become separated from where they need to be. Things that have been separated from love and my true call. And he's raising my awareness of it. And he's inviting me to sit and say, I want to get back to who I was. I want to step back into freedom. It's about me becoming that. The whole point of the gospel is so that we know how the word can become flesh. God is not a God who wants to be distant and aloof. What God is saying to us is, I want to be the God who is known with man. I want to be the God who is known in man. I want to be the God who is known as man. How is he known in your life? Is he distant and aloof? Or is he the God who's known as man? I could never be who I am today if it wasn't for him. He did something in me. He is the one who's changed me. How do I do this? He introduces us. To a lifestyle. And what defines that lifestyle is something called worship. You see, we have this idea that worship is a moment when we come into church. Worship is when it's really cool and the praise team gets up here and we sit and say, we love that, that was good. And that is good. But that's an aspect of worship. It is not worship. Worship in its entirety is not a moment in time. It's not a particular encounter. What it is, is a life disposition that's been defined by worth and value. Friendship is a disposition that is defined by mutual affection. Partnership is a union that's divine, that is defined by a joint endeavor or undertaking. Worthship is a relationship that is defined by worth and value. I want to read um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, It portrays to us what the life of worship is all about. Beloved friends, What should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and to live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Do you know what he's saying? What he's saying is this. Worship is really an expression of love. 
Worship is an expression of love. It is a lifestyle that is, de- that is defined by love. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave. He's speaking about a principle that co- comes with love. And love is this. If you love, you will give. If you love, you will give. You can give without loving. But you cannot love without giving. I can give without loving. I give to the IRS every year. And there is no love attached. But you cannot love without giving. You see, for example, marriage. When you get married and you sign that certificate of marriage, legally you are married. Legally you are married. But experientially you're not. If you want to walk into what marriage is all about, you're going to have to walk into a dimension called love. And love (laughs) There was no profanity involved. I think Dave was trying to beat something else. It wasn't me. My baby, it has nothing to do with you, I promise. (laughs) I wasn't saying anything. (laughs) The certificate will give you legal marriage, but love will give you experiential uh, marriage. Love is when I sit and say, I'm prepared to give. Love is when I sit and say, you know what? I used to live this way, but it's more important for me to recognize what it is to live in union with you. So what's going to happen is I'm going to make some changes and I'm going to make some adaptations. And yes, some stuff is uncomfortable because they're things that I haven't done at any, that I haven't done before. But you know what you do? You sit and say, I'm prepared to give because the union and the value of marriage and realizing and experiencing that union is far more important to me than what I have to give up for. I don't live in a state of criticism. Why? I'm prepared to give it up because I want the union of marriage to mean something. I'm not running away. Of course, it had to be the empty box. This is quite the Sunday. Grief. I'm prepared to give up on the criticism. Why? Because you're more important to me and I value you so much more. And where we can go and the marriage that I want with you. I want to experience it. Not just have it in writing. In Luke chapter 18. A young rich ruler comes and he meets with Jesus. And he says to Jesus. He says. Ruler tell me. Teacher tell me. What I have to do to experience eternal life. When he was asking for eternal life there, he's not asking predominantly, how do I live forever? What he was asking was, it had to do with quality of life. Nobody wants to live forever in the pigsty. It started off with quality of life. When he's talking about eternal life, he's talking about life of a superior nature. What he's saying to Jesus is, how do I live life of a superior nature like you? And I want that life forever. That's what he was asking. And Jesus looked at him and Jesus said to him, I'm inviting you into a lifestyle defined by worship. Do you want it? And he looked a bit bewildered. He's like, well, I've kept all the commandments I've done. And Jesus said to him, listen, the life of a superior nature that you're looking for 
If you want that, go and get rid of your riches and your title and everything that you currently have and give it away so that you can gain me. He called him to worship. He said, I want you to live a lifestyle of giving. Do you see more worth and value in me or in what you have? And he left there saddened because he said, I don't want to worship. I want to hold on to what I got. I don't want to worship. I want to hold on to what I got. I got more faith and I got more trust in what I have, in my recognition, in my titles, in my affirmation. I don't want to gamble at all. I see more worth and value in that than I do in you. May I propose this to us? If we've never given, we've never truly worshipped. You see, worship always comes with a requirement or prerequisite of giving. I become like Jesus as I worship Jesus. I become like him as I worship him. Because when I move into that space, what he says is, I see what you've been looking at. And it separated you from who I designed you to be. Will you give it to me? Because if you'll give it to me, I'll take you back to your call. If you give it to me, I'll take you back to your purpose. If you give it to me, I'll take you back to love. You can't get there by yourself. I'm the only one who can do it. But you've got to make a choice. In the context of worship, are you prepared to give me something so that you can gain that place of freedom? So I can once again walk into expressions of God's love for me in that area of my life. I have a choice to make. If you have a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, it says, Now is the time to be made new by every revelation that's given to you and to be transformed as 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 you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. When I made, make decisions and I move away from God's design for who I am, I find myself at a place where I'm out there and I can't get back. Jesus is the person and Jesus is the place where God and me meet again. Jesus is the place where I can take those things that are outside of him and I can go once again and I can meet with God and I can sit and say, in the context of recognizing your worth and value, I will take what this is and I'm prepared to sacrifice it. I'm prepared to give it because of what I'm going to gain in you. We can never correct ourselves. We can never fix ourselves. That's why we need a savior. The reason that he came was to create a space for us where we could walk into a reality of who he is. We could walk into a lifestyle with him where on an ongoing basis we have the opportunity where the invitation is extended to us. Come and worship. Anytime you feel something that is outside of his design. Anytime you encounter an aspect of who you are and you sit and say, that's not part of who his original, what his original deal was. I have the opportunity to, this, to sit and say, I want to worship. Holy Spirit, come in. I'm giving this up. I'm giving this up because I see more worth and value in you. Come and speak to me, Jesus.
Give me something for this brokenness. Give me something for the separation. Give me something for these places that move me away from who you designed me to be. We were created in the image and likeness of God. You were created in love. And in that space is fullness of joy. In that space is completion and wholeness and freedom and liberty. The challenge with sin is it always wants to bring us to a place where it divides us from love. It always separates us from that space. And it creates a house divided. I may have taken the bait. I may have been looking at some stuff I shouldn't have been looking at. I may have given it some place in my life that I shouldn't have given it place. Welcome to being human. But he knows that. It never stopped him loving you. The reason he loves you so much. He loved you so much. He provided Jesus as the place where once again you could take that and you can offer that up to him and he will take it and reintroduce you to who he designed you to be. When I live from that place of freedom, I live from a place of completion in him. And when I live from that place of completion, I know what it is to experience his love. Life is going to happen. Things are going to come. Don't ever let it tempt you to move outside of what he's called you to be. When I live in the space and I operate in the space and I live life from the space, I live in his love and in his completion and I know what it is to walk through life experiencing who he is and what he's all about. Father, I just want to thank you for who you are. I just want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you that Jesus is so fabulous that he's the place where you and I can meet again. I thank you that the invitation he extends to us is to live a lifestyle of worship, recognizing the worth and the value of always coming to meeting you, Father, in him. And in that space, I want to thank you that we encounter all that Jesus has provided for us. I thank you for the way. I thank you for the truth. I thank you for the life. I pray for every person here today and everybody watching. Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to work with them right at the moment. And those aspects of their life where they feel a sense of separation from where you are, Holy Spirit, invite them right now to the place where they can come to you and they can confess it. They can come to you, Jesus, and sit and say, I want to take what you've provided for me and grab a hold of what grace can provide. We bless you for your love for us. We thank you that your love for us is never compromised. It's never diluted. It's never washed down in any way. But as we become more aware of how we can live from your place of love. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you guide us and you lead us and you introduce us to the fullness of what that's all about. We bless you for it now.